Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey guys, I'm taking a week off. This is one of my favorite episodes from the Canada Land Archives. If you are new to the show, you may not have heard it. I will be back on Monday with a new episode. Thanks. Kate Beaton draws the comic Hark a Vagrant. A million people a month read this thing. Kate has a global audience for content that is like unabashedly and idiosyncratically Canadian. There are comic strips about John Diefenbaker and Laura Secord. It is stuff that you will remember from history class. Her work is so funny and weird, so beautifully drawn and lyrically drawn. I'm obviously a pretty big fan of Kate Beaton's, and uh, this is just humiliating. I forgot to hit record when she sat down in the studio with me and we began our conversation. So we had a half hour of conversation that I missed. I haven't done that since my first year doing radio, but uh, but she was good enough to stick around with me, and, and the conversation only got better. So uh, stick around. That is coming right up. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Stephen Murray, Stu Brown, Matthew Braga, Kenock, Eric, Deborah Friedman, Matt, Thomas, Matt Fairley, and Ethan Henry. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge 
research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Do you have to go? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely talk to you about but I will tell you the Johnny Baker story. Okay. I, 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 we, we just did a half hour that wasn't recorded because <laughs> I'm a chump. That's okay. I showed up late. Um, <laughs> all right. We're, we, were ta- we're, we were talking about John Diefenbaker. Yeah. Is it on now? We are now. <laughs> you should probably hold the machine. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, we're we're tip now. for tat now. So. All right. I, okay. We need to pause for 10 minutes for me to go and just like stare at the corner and feel yeah. Okay. That's totally fine. Thank you, Kate. And yeah. No, the, the story, like I said, I don't know if I remember it exactly, but, but he had the phone on his desk. And, uh, and it was the phone to call the president, and it was just there. And it was, like, kind of obvious to anybody. And I think that he would point it out sometimes, like, that's the phone, like the emergency phone. It can call Kennedy if I want to. And then when Pearson took office after him, he was kind of disgusted by it maybe. And they put it away somewhere. They, like, put it in a closet. Yeah. And then one day it began to ring, and they couldn't find it. <laughs> Which is pretty great. And then they they finally found it. And it was like the wrong number. Wait, it was like, <laughs> it was like the closet was ringing and it was Kennedy. Or, it, it was, was like in a drawer or a closet or something, and it was ringing and they couldn't find it. And because they were like, "Where's the phone?" And um and no, it wasn't. The, it was the wrong number. But it was like uh-huh. a wrong number on like the secret presidential line. Uh huh. Which is like two two totally different um, uh, prime minister styles. And uh, no, Stephen Baker and Kennedy didn't like each other. That's right. You had uh, LBJ and Pearson together, which is like, that's like a comic. That, I mean, the uh, that was when he shook him by the lapels when you read um, Charles Ritchie's diaries. The treatment. He was giving him the LBJ treatment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> you pissed on my doorstep. Yeah. Because uh, he spoke out against the Vietnam War. I, I love that. You got Pearson as like cool as a cucumber, like not as a nerd, but it's just like, hey, I don't hey, rattle. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was, he, you know, he was an aviator and... Um, I love that that people called him Mike because his his 
uh, I think it was his flying instructor who was like, Lester's a name for nerds. I'm going to call you Mike. And he was like, that's cool. <laughs> I'm fine with that. He liked it when people called him Mike. What is your audience like? Is it 60% American? Like, what is the... Oh, it's it's just because of numbers of people, it's it's overwhelmingly American. Yeah. And then Canadian and, and British and... Uh, um, uh, and then more in in Europe and uh, South America and that kind of thing. And when you are aware of of that audience, as much as I love putting it the the Canadian stuff, you become also aware that everybody is inundated with American culture. Y- but like everybody wants to be represented. Everybody wants yeah. to be seen in in their way because we've all watched Mel Gibson and The Patriot and and other movies where like it's just like America. Yeah. Well, we're sort of saying two different things. It's like everybody wants their own, you know, yeah. reference points mm-hmm. to be represented, but they also, I think, are incredibly. If something is 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 uniquely specific, if you're telling me something about like some, I don't know, historical New Zealand figure that you're re- yeah. that you're really fascinated with, I'm not going to say like New Zealand. I'm not from there. Yeah, yeah. I, like, <laughs> sorry. I think that there's just an appetite everywhere, even in America. Like we're we're kind of be, being mean to America as if they can help the fact that they have this giant market on on like culture like there's an appetite out there for stories that are just good and and for historical figures that were amazing and doesn't matter it it really doesn't matter where they're from i guess that's what you do because you're not doing the biopic of diefenbaker you're kind of like dropping people right in the middle of some i don't know character quirk or some point of tension yeah, or some joke about yeah. people who the vast majority of your of the hundreds of thousands of people who follow your work have mm-hmm. never heard of this person before but i guess they get to kind of like your enthusiasm and specific interest by proxy they get to kind of sit in that and yeah for sure and with the internet so close they just wikipedia it like right away yeah and then it's all right there all the information and uh, do they do people like oh yeah like I get all the time that like my website and Wikipedia are open on the same like two double tabs <laughs> but it's it's great because you read the comic and then you read the the like entry and then you come back and you get a bit more of the comic and it's kind of this a uh, um, immersive experience and uh, and not only do I sort of teach people but people teach me because I'm. I always get requests for people, um, like please do this person, please do this person, and every now and then you look something up, and you're like, oh, that guy really is rad, and he's right. cool. I like him, and I wouldn't have known that if I didn't have this giant readership who who like is just excited by by history and wants to wants to see their favorite thing. Right. Um, you like it's a, that's like your play free bird. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 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 do Jack Churchill. I can't tell you how many people have asked me to do Jack Churchill. And now I don't I won't make a comic about him just because I can't <laughs> just out of sheer defiance. Just no. Yeah. Because he is a, he's like a cartoon. Do you know who he is? He's a World I War no One soldier who went to war with like a bow and arrow and there are pictures of him with his like bow and arrow. Uh-huh. And uh and he was like such a soldier soldier. Um, you know, quotes for him are like the most machismo, like, I'm going to war because a man needs to, like, be a man and, and I have my bow and arrow and guns are for babies. And So he's a I, propaganda. He's a poster boy. Yeah, kind of. But he was also just like everyone, even at the time, everyone was like, wow, that guy's <laughs> totally nuts. But uh, he, right, also insane. Because yeah. in they're going to World War One with a bow and arrow. In an era of industrialized warfare. Yeah, imagine yeah. being the guy who got hit by that and was just like, what? 
<laughs> Some German, poor German boy, like expecting to get shot, but he gets like an arrow in the chest. Yeah, it's bad enough that you're dying. It's just it's like you're, you're so confused. You're dying confused and you're like, is this a joke? What's yeah. happening? Um, yeah. <laughs> What you do is so specific. Asking you to come here to talk about like, wow, you've, you've kind of cracked the code of how to be creative on the internet, how to release your work for free and still make a living, how to do stuff that is uniquely Canadian but play to a global audience. And so it's like, well, tell me how you did it. And of course, <laughs> what you did, like nobody just, who actually set out to do what you're doing. Yeah. In a way, you can't really set out to do anything. You just, you have to do what you want to because... Um, when I started, everyone was like, uh, oh, she found, like, the formula. Or, like, she, oh, I would get, like, you tapped into this niche audience. And you're like, that's not what I was trying to do. I was just doing my thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which is maddening, by the way, because any other profession, people are like, well, no, this is how you do it. No, you I know? do it. Yeah. And, and there is, like, you definitely become aware of this, this interest in trying to figure out what that magic formula is, especially in Canada. Because I have been contacted from everything from Historic Minutes to... Uh, the Museum of Civilization, which is now going to be the Museum of Canadian History. The Heritage Minutes people called you? Yeah. Well, they put out some new ones, right? Uh-huh. Like, Harper gave them a bunch of money and was like, make a bunch of War of 1812 things, because he was all weird about the War of 1812. He, he like, I think it's because it's like a military part of Canada's history. He can he can say that? He can tell them what to do it on? I guess he could do whatever he wants. Well, they made some for the first time in like 20 years like two or three new ones and two of them i think were about the war of 1812 and one was about confederation the whole the whole thing about 1812 i i find kind of bizarre there was this giant push for commemorating it and a lot of places were getting money and when you read interviews with like museums and stuff they were like yeah we got a lot of money i don't know why um <laughs> and, uh, and it's just war of 1812 centennial yeah um when i worked at the maritime museum of bc it was the last uh, 2007, I just like fresh out of my, my history degree and I was like, oh, museums is the way for me. The conservative government came in and slashed the museum assistance fund in half and it had been the same since the 70s. Yeah. And museums everywhere are struggling for money. So the whole 1812 like money pile was just weird to me. Well, it's because, I mean, there is this kind of version of Canadian history. Like there's, like some people said he's trying to rewrite it. And like the Franklin thing, like, these sort of kind of heroic Boy Scouty things. Yeah, that, that, that but get that's also about on. Arctic sovereignty, right? And it's about Arctic sovereignty yeah, and like oil, energy oil claims. Yeah. yeah, there's always like a, you're like, oh, that's great that there's so much um, money and government support for history. But it's only about these super specific things. Like even at all during that 1812 time, if you picked up like the, the Canada's history, it used to be called the Beaver. It was almost always like... Like Tecumseh, yeah, <laughs> something on the cover, which is great because Tecumseh. What are they is now? Amazing, I, I know that they they changed it from the Beaver because to Canada's were, history. They were having all kinds of problems with Google searches. You would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great magazine. I, I bought a subscription for my dad so I could come home on Christmas and like read all of them. Right. Uh, <laughs> are you going to do? I want to see but, like a Kate Beaton Heritage Minute. Are you? They'd be fun. I I everybody's fond of Heritage Minutes in a way that uh, is different from, from other media. Like, all the when we were, you and I were talking before about movies like the, the Tommy Douglas story and stuff that nobody really watched and people were like, eh, I don't care. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because uh, there was something weirdly sincere and, and straight to the point about those, um, 
those heritage minutes. They had to pack in the information they wanted you to learn. So it had to be like it was all just like super exposition and and like unnatural dialogue and that kind of thing. Yeah. But we watched it as kids and we remembered everything. And I think that they did a lot for us. Uh, like our our generation, yeah, yeah. Um, in in knowing our own history, they were cheesy and stuff. But like, uh, um, I, I'd count them. Laura Secord, what brings you here? Yeah, you yeah. Know? And she's like, oh, <laughs> the British and her ear grows big, and she's like, so I gotta go because I'm a spy, and like says it to the camera. <laughs> drunk history, also drunk history is a good example because it's funny and it's kind of goofy, but it's also about how passionate those people are about the story that they're telling. Yes. They just happen to be really drunk. But yeah. they're like, you don't understand, like, Oni Judge was a hero. And uh, Well, that's really interesting yeah. because what they remove is everything that's labored and earnest and propagandistic about yeah. relaying history. And it cuts to, like, if some drunk person is dying to tell you about this yeah. duel, yeah. It, it must be because they genuinely, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's what comes across in your stuff. is like, I'm not telling you this because mm-hmm. I'm your history teacher, yeah. you know. Your government, yeah, or, that's right. Or, or like CBC's like, well, I guess we got to do a Tommy Douglas biopic. Yeah, you yeah. Know, like that's that's telling or Canadian I stories. I wonder, I wonder what the impetus was behind that. Actually, was uh, that after the Greatest Canadian? Thing? I think it was, and that that makes sense. So they like, oh well, this is the guy like, that everybody. Oh, this, is, this is the one, but you got to have the passion for it, and yeah. and that's that's really the key. Like when you're excited about something, other people are excited about it. Yeah. I'm going to try to break it down. I, there, yeah. there is a formula to what you do. I'm going to try to sure. break it down in a way that's going to be replicable to okay. you know for my own selfish purposes and for anybody else yeah. out there. Which is not that everybody should go and like study how to draw like Victorian dress or you yeah. know <laughs> it's got to actually come from a genuine interest in your subject matter. Yeah. yeah, and it's an interesting balance between like I think that you feel you know a commitment to be good to your audience and to entertain them and to do mm-hmm. stuff that's funny. Like I think yeah. you're well, you have to do that too. Yeah, like you are performing, you are playing for your audience, mm-hmm. and yet you're also like it's a very personal exercise in playing to your own obsessions, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Add the internet so that you have the capability, you have the potential to reach everybody, but so does everybody. Yeah. And so the more specific your work is, and I think about things like The Office and how it's like, I'm glad yeah. that the British office was about slough. Yeah. You know, a god-awful suburb. And, right. You know, they did not try to universalize it in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. You know, and all these kind of things of like, well, we can't have it actually... I don't know, that, like Wayne's World thing of like, we can't call it Scarborough. Like everybody yeah. has to imagine it as their suburb. Wayne's yeah. World was in Scarborough? <laughs> he grew up in Scarborough. That makes total sense. Does that, does that yeah. like make it better or worse for you? No, I, mean. no, I just never thought about where Wayne's World was. <laughs> That's, that makes absolute sense. Uh, Am I on track? Is it, is, you uh, are. You yeah. are. We're like, um, uh, it almost even comes back to that kind of universal, like write what you know type thing. Sure. Uh, but as we were talking about when I was not recording, mm. uh, it, it's not about like disappearing for 10 years and doing that first novel thing of writing what you know in, yeah. in, in a garret. Like, yeah. I, I think that you're, you've been kind of bold and just evolved in public and experiment in public and, mm-hmm. and, you know, people kind of get involved in your story that way. Like they want yeah. to see where what you're going to do next. And Yeah, they do. And it's funny because I started so early. I was like 23, maybe 22 when I when I started like the live journal. Yeah. And um, at that point, like there was no audience. There was just the other people making comics and then the people who read those comics. And uh, it just sort of grew organically. There was no like big push for an audience to show up they just kind of rolled in yeah <laughs> through a link from here or a recommendation from a friend or like a reblog or a or whatever 
luckily, you know, me being able to do what I want to do. And that not everything that everybody wants to do is going to get an audience. It might be like their baby and they love it and it's amazing to them and it's it's exactly what they want to do. And it might not be the thing that gets an audience, like comics that are a bit too esoteric. And they'll have a following that's super into it, but very small. Yeah. And like a, an admiration from other places, but it's harder for them to like sell the T-shirts and make the, right. the money. Because when you're giving away the content for free yeah. and then living off of the ancillary advertising or merchandising stuff, yeah. then it is about scale. Yeah. which is the, And that's where Canada is in a unique place. If your stuff only appeals to Canadians, mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot harder go. It is. So I'm lucky that... I have this larger audience, but I root for those Canadian projects. We want them to succeed. We want the good TV shows here. We want the the things that really reflect who we are. It's just harder. Mm-hmm. And that said, it doesn't necessarily have to be. Why does a Canadian TV show have to just be in Canada? Like, why why does it only have to appeal to a Canadian audience if it's just good television? Yeah. Uh, which is probably, you know, what everybody thinks. I just... Um, I, Unless you're, you're, I mean, your show is called Canada Lands. So. <laughs> Unless you're such an idiot that you would like overtly exclude. <laughs> yeah, if, I, if my comic was called Harka Canada, I don't know. <laughs> if you if, if you pitched like if you had to pitch web comics, yeah. If you needed to ask permission to do web comics, mm-hmm. though you were wise enough not to put Canada in the title. I think anybody would still reject your pitch. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. going to do, uh, you know, gag strips ab- oh, yeah. about, you know, literary figures, Canadian historical figures, mm-hmm. and obscure points of interest that, like, I just happen to be really into. Yeah, people um, might not. But that's the thing. Like, uh, um, there is no gatekeepers. You just put your stuff up, and it might work out. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's kind of the magical thing about right now. And. Even in my experience, I've seen that that there are people who, um, before they'll they'll come knocking on your door, they want to see that you've made a name for yourself already. They feel safer working with you, knowing that you've built this audience already. You come with this, you bring all this to the table. Yeah. And the comic, like the comic website, is kind of just like my flagship or my storefront, where people look in and go, "I like that." Yeah. Uh, which, like if you if you were to pitch some completely mm-hmm. obscure sounding project. Well, if we work with her, no. like, well, you know, she's got 100,000 followers on Twitter that she can promote this to. She's got a million people who read her every month. I guess she knows what she's doing. And I'm I'm pretty aware of the the power that you have when you have, like, a lot of eyes on something. And when I started listening to your podcast, I like, tweeted about it, like, three times. And I was like, link, link, link. I appreciate Everybody that. Go. <laughs> it ends up being a meritocracy in that way because, you know, you, you want to support the other people who are good and doing good things. Yeah. And I, you know, if someone's doing a comic that I really like, I'm like, read this comic. I think that it's really shifting our conception of an artist or of a creative person, mm. of a communicator. But it's almost shifting it back. It's almost kind of like... Contrary to the auteur theory yeah. of creativity and, and puts puts it back in a like, you know, I'm a vaudeville performer and I'm on three times a day. You can come yeah. see me and I'll be here and it's a nickel at the door. Yeah. You know, or, or like these um, genius cartoonists like Klaus and Ware who can mm-hmm. disappear for years and like, yeah. oh, what, what's, what are they doing? You know, what's, when's yeah. Ivan Bernetti's book going to come out? And then, yeah. you know, and then it's a literary event when it comes out versus the guys who inspired them um, yeah. who were like – in the paper every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles Schultz, who was like 
decade after yeah. decade. You got to respect decade. those guys. Yeah, I mean, or like, uh, I mean, even old time painting greats. You, you have they all had patronage from rich families yeah. in like Florence or something, right? So, so it and they had to artists have always paint portraits of them for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, I'll finish my masterpiece, but here is a picture of your kid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you get no shortage of. Uh, oh yeah, lots of like, will you draw my wife? I'm, I'm going to propose, or we're getting married, or something. Yeah. And, uh, but like, um, the newspaper comic guy. Um, I've met quite a few of them, and I really respect what they do. Um, can we talk about like uh, being a woman on the internet? I mean, especially after this past summer with, with GamerGate, when, when women who work in, in video gaming were just so maliciously harassed. And I was thinking that you know, like comics, comics culture online, it's not so different. And there's a lot of bad behavior towards women in, in in that culture too. The bad things that I have experienced are not. They just don't even hold a candle to the people who work in games yeah. or anything like that. And even mainstream comics. The funny thing about indie comics and web comics is they've always been pretty woman friendly. Like you had even in even in the really early days, there was Robert Crumb, sure, but there were there were like the women's comics, however that that weird way that they spelled it. And, yeah. Uh, what was tits and clits? That was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Alison Bechdel, or whoever. Like, yeah. You know, like uh, she's been doing it for years, and she's amazing, by the way. Yeah. Um, we in the indie comics scene are are like aware of it, but kind of a little bit off to the side. You're in it, and you're not in it at the same time, um, and and uh, I have to admit that I'm really used to the way that people talk about my work and my peers. At first, at first, it really jars you because you. I, I didn't grow up in the comic scene. I didn't. I just sort of stumbled into it through like some side door. And so, like the first time that I that I started getting like gendered commentary on my work or people saying things about me that were sexist, I was like, what the. Fuck, <laughs> and uh, and now I don't really bat an eye because it's just there. It's like white noise, yeah, and that's too bad. Um, but it also makes your life better because if you you in the end you really learn that what you need to do is pick your battles because you can't take everybody on, and you only need to speak out when it when it matters the most mm-hmm. because it's exhausting fighting that. I cringe every time I I read a news article about. Anita Sarkeesian or that whole Zoe Quinn thing. Um, oh, God. But like, just you're watching it and your mouth is open. You're reading about what's happening. And it seems so unbelievable that there are no laws, that there are no protection, that there's like, it's just people being like, get a thicker skin while like, you know, your address is being posted online and, and stuff. But again, that's that's games. In comics... I think that in some of those cases, there are laws. There's just no mechanism to enforce yeah, them or to, yeah, to track yeah. it back. Or like to, it's, not, it's not real because it's the internet. It's like yeah. the internet isn't part of everybody's lives completely. I feel like we're kind of learning that, you know, the idea of who is a misogynist creep is, mm-hmm. was a bit wrongheaded or, you know, or at least it wasn't inclusive enough. No. Because <laughs> if we thought it was like um, the jock. Yeah. It's the nerd. The really mean nerds are the ones who cannot picture themselves as a, as being a victim because they were victimized in their life yeah. somehow. And they're like, I'm not mean because someone shoved me in a locker once or a hundred times. They hate the idea of, you know, mea culpa. I, I messed up. I'm mean. Yeah. Um, because other people are mean. 
There's that great 30 Rock where I Tina Fey remembers herself as being this kind of abused geek. And then yeah. she goes back to her high school reunion. And everyone's like, you were always saying really harsh, snarky <laughs> things about all of us. You were yeah. a bully. But yeah, all that stuff is going to end because it just has to because the content is – is in a lot of ways driven by the audience and the audience is expanding and diversifying and and Mm -hmm. like maybe a bunch of jerks are going to go out kind of kicking and screaming but they are going to be replaced by by a a bigger more inclusive more understanding audience at least that's like you got to hope for that i hope so uh i I have two minds about it i mean i was reading one essay about how this is a cultural war and the right people are winning because every time anita sarkeesian is piled upon she will earn one hundred sixty thousand dollars um, yeah. because, because, they're, because people support her. People will shove money and resources and support and bring, yeah. bring to a higher level the people who are targeted. But, like, that's not a great way of – No. A lot because, of people get hurt Because in the, nobody wants to be those people. Yeah. And uh, absolutely nobody on earth would like to trade places with those people. Yeah, it's not and worth it doesn't matter if it's getting better for them. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that – She had to leave her home. I mean yeah. – Yeah, that's that's horrible. I would guess that being a woman on the internet is a bit of a cakewalk compared to being a woman working uh, in Fort McMurray in the oil sands, which I know you did for a couple of years. You were telling me a bit about that uh, back when I uh, I thought I was taping and was not. Um, I want to talk with you a bit about that because to this conversation about telling Canadian stories and what sort of things we want to read about and, and what sort of things we want to see on, on the CBC and other channels and you know fictionalized or, or otherwise, that is the big Canadian story. That is the one. I am so interested in knowing more about it. Like beyond the political controversy of it, the environmental conflict, I want to know just like what is it like because it looks so extreme and uh and you were there i believe that for memory is the most interesting and important thing that's that's going on here right now um i i did a comic a few months ago because i um might do a book about my experiences there really um and the comic was called ducks and it was about um it was about an environment that was hostile to everybody I think that that was the description that I put on it, the, working in a place that was bad for an environment that included humans. Because I was there, and when I left, I saw very little of the place that I knew in reports about the about the town or the, the mines or anything. Because you were, you know, you had access that people don't get. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, if you go up there and you're like, I want to do a story, like, you're not allowed on the sites, you're not allowed in the camps, there's no pictures. I have very little photographic record of there because, like, they, we were told that you weren't allowed to take pictures. Yeah. And that kind of thing, like, you confiscate your camera and you're like, well, it's, it's not like it's some kind of crazy, like, you know, CIA deal. It's just people digging up oil. But um, but I found a, I found that that was really lacking in in the modern conversation is is the human experience. There's a lot of conversation that is needed to go on about the environmental impact and that kind of thing, but very little about human beings working up there. And it it covers all of Canada. That there were um, everywhere from Newfoundland to Vancouver Island. Like yeah. there are workers making a living for themselves, and it's it right now it is like the pan Canadian experience in a way. Because almost all of us <laughs> know somebody who's working in the oil sands. Yeah. And, and in the East Coast especially, like people in my town, if they're raising kids, the dad is likely, you know, on, on days off or, or on work, on shift and back. And it's, it's, it's a way of life that takes its toll on you. But everybody is up there trying to make a better life. Because that might be the the option that they have, the, the maybe the only option. I don't know. There's. I, I wanted to make a comic 
that told the story of of what I saw because I didn't see what I saw anywhere else except for you know in my memory yeah uh, and uh, and every now and then on the Facebook pages of the people that I used to work with they were still up there. Um, <laughs> and it got an amazing response. I got so many letters from people who said things like, this is what I saw too. And I don't feel like I've seen it anywhere before. And I, and like, it's not something that I can explain to people. Yeah. And it is hard to explain. Like, um, uh, you, you work in that kind of environment and then I didn't even know how to talk to people really. And I, then I, I felt like I'm crazy, but I talked to my cousin who worked up there and worked like overtime shifts, shifts upon shifts. And then he was like, and then I went to a bar with some of my friends and they're all having a good time. And I just felt like I was outside of my body. I didn't know how to have a good time in a bar anymore. I didn't, you can't really explain it. Well, you were, te- you were telling me earlier, like being a camp and like all these guys from all over mm-hmm. the country and they're away from their homes and their families, yeah. and it's it's. Uh, you, you were telling me you were like one woman to, to fifty guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just like picturing it's like aliens or something. Like it, it feels like yeah. going. Go, it feels like as you describe it, like going off to space or something. You kind know? of, yeah. And like I said, like the main thing about being a woman there was that you were very obvious all the time, and and uh, you stuck out like a sore thumb everywhere. If you went, if you walked somewhere, people saw you the sexual harassment or whatever was was a part of my everyday and and you just got used to it in a weird way my sister also worked there for a while and we were in Halifax one time after we had both worked there and one of the guys who we used to work with or was there came up to us and he talked to my sister and he was like oh you used to work in this place and and she's like yeah yeah i think i remember you and he's like yeah like the guys and i used to like say and then he just like talked how they used to talk about her like in front of her they're like you know we're like oh if we get a chance with her and it was really like overtly like and and she's like oh yeah yeah for sure and uh (laughs) and then he left and our friends were like thanks yeah our friends were like why did you let him talk to you like that and uh, and she was like, oh, I don't know, because she just sort of like shut down and went to that, that place again where like, I deal with this all the time. Right. I'm just going to let it go. And then I'm going to go on with my day. Because if I tell this guy, like, don't talk to me like that, he's not even going to understand why. Because he yeah. doesn't know that he's saying, he doesn't even know there, there were those people. And there were the people who felt more comfortable around you because you you were a, a woman. And, and maybe they thought of like, uh, they would open up to you a bit more or um, they were kinder to you. Uh, people who are from my area generally like looked out for me a bit. They come in and check on me and see how I was doing. You know, if any of those assholes are bothering you, you just send them my way and or whatever. Like, uh, <laughs> you don't seem to kind of remember it as like purely this negative experience with these it like, was awful negative. men. I mean, I uh, didn't like it there. Yeah, and there were people who would put you in really uncomfortable situations. And there were bosses who didn't care. There were things that I I just can't tell my mom about, you know, like the the way that people talk about you. Yeah. And the way you hear it and the stares. There's no way to describe what it's like to just be trying to eat your lunch and have everybody just staring at you. Um, and I know girls who quit because they couldn't, deal with that kind of stuff it's like working in a jail or something yeah but but like it was so complicated like when i've talked about um about 
being there and being a woman like a lot of people are like oh I must have just everyone everyone was just a bunch of brutes and they were all shitty and like but it was more like everybody was lonely in their way and sometimes they'd take it out on you mm-hmm. and sometimes they would uh uh be your friend and sometimes it was just like sadness and and loneliness and stress and overwork manifesting itself in different ways and you were caught in the in the fire of it a lot because you were this person that stuck out um like, like all of the things that men expect and ask women to be yeah including like a confidant or a shoulder to cry on or nurturing and everything else as well sure at a ratio of 50 men to one woman yeah in a place that's like high stress too much money High divorce rates, yeah. um, frustration, uh, you know, cause, because people go up there to work and they get, like, yelled at by their their bosses and stuff all day. And uh, and they have to, like, build this mine and make the money and and everything. And, uh, and it's enough to set everybody crazy. And I don't want to uh, – like, I can only tell you things that I saw and that I went through because um, other people – there are people up there that don't mind it. And and don't really have bad things to say. And I think of other people that that worked there, and, and how we all had we all had our own little different forming Murray. Mm-hmm. And like there was a guy I know, um, his daughter worked there. She was tall and beautiful. And um, I think he went in the bathroom once, and on the wall it was written her name, and then should be worth the climb. And it's your daughter. And uh, <laughs> uh, and he, I don't know what he thought when he thought about her being up there. And I don't know what the guy thought, who a friend of mine who went through divorce when, yeah. when we were up there, and he had to he had to keep working. Or anybody that I know who um, developed drug habits, or uh, things went sour on them one way or the other. Or uh, all the young people who went there and thought they were just going to work for a while, but are still there. Yeah. And uh, everybody's got their own different thing. And mine is mine is colored enormously different just because I was a woman there. And uh, I, I'm I'm not excusing anybody's bad behavior towards me or towards the other women there. But you, the longer that you stay, the more that you understand that nothing is black and white. That it's all just shades of gray. The conversation becomes so often about whether it's just sort of like this evil hell on earth uh, yeah. based on the environmental uh, devastation. Or whether it's, you know, Rex Murphy, it's, it's Renewing mm. Confederation. It's the most wonderful place in Canada. Mm. And it, I'm just fa- – it, it sounds like it's just the most extreme place and that every, yeah. everybody is, is just living these, yeah. these extremities money, there. You know? Big uh, trucks. <laughs> yeah. The work is big. The money is big. Yeah, the, the, the weather is big. is big and trying to kill you. And, yeah, you know. and the, the, like, long, long days and then the long, long nights. You're up, that, up there so, so – um, uh, up north, so high that yeah, the days are really short in the winter time and really long in the in the summertime. Yeah. And, um, the temperatures are very extreme, and like I I I worked on three or four different sites, uh, different companies. Uh, I lived in the camps and I lived in the town, um, and uh, and the 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 memories that I have that are the most like intense are the the physical ones of like standing and waiting in the cold for a bus that was going to pick us all up at 4 a.m. and you're just standing there with like stomping your feet on the ground and that, that kind of like very like in the moment physicality of yeah. the place yeah. which is which is harsh and extreme and uh, people died up there yeah. and uh, and that's that's a reality 
the biggest news story to leave Fort McMurray from the time that I was there was the time that 1,500 ducks flew into a tailings pond at Syncrude and were full of oil and drowned. Right. Um, and it made national news and Greenpeace yeah, showed yeah. up and everything and it was everywhere. It was a huge scandal. When I left, everyone was like, oh, the ducks. And that's what everybody knew about. But like people I knew, people died. Yeah. And nobody hears about them. You, They even call it the shadow population. For a long time, I was like, I'm not ready to make a, a comic of this. I'm not ready to tell that story because I didn't feel like it was even my right to... To, to do that, to to be one of those people who were like, I was in the trenches and I saw horrible things. But um, you can always say what you saw. Yeah, you know? that's that's all I can say is is what I saw. Yeah. Um, what I want to ask you before you go: mm-hmm. Why do you still live here? Why why do you why why did you come back? Why do you live in Canada? Canada is my home. I think New York was an amazing place to be for a while for an artist because everybody there is working really hard. And you can't not like get caught up in that tidal wave of energy where you're like, I got to, I got to, I got to do, and I got to do these things and I meet these people and the publishing people are there and I got my agent there and stuff. But um, I will probably eventually go back to Nova Scotia because it's just my home. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a lot of Canadians in the States who are super happy and I was happy there too, but this is where I belong. That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me. I read them all. I respond when I can. I am at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I am on Twitter at jessebrown. The website for this show is canadalandshow.com. And the crowdfunding page is patreon.com slash canadaland. I produce this show with Christopher DeMello, and we will have the next episode for you up on Monday. If you like Canada Land, support it. 